Our reading is from 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, who they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Hi Church, let's pray. Loving God, uh, we thank you that you have shown us love. Please help us as we think about your love today. 
to understand more of it, to experience more of it, to be more filled with it so that we can love others better. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the best of times, uh, we can be people who find it hard to love. Uh, by nature, we are all selfish people. I hate to break the news to you. Uh, by default, humanity is a breed of uh, being that is more concerned with its own desires and having them met and them fulfilled than in fulfilling the needs and the wants of other people. And so love, that disposition towards someone else's good, it doesn't actually come easily to us. And I suspect that over the next few weeks, as, as we've sort of started to emerge from the hibernation, if you like, of isolation, uh, we are going to uh, begin to notice as we meet together more regularly uh, that loving one another is hard. Uh, I suspect that we're going to discover that our time apart from one another over these last few months has not made it easier to love one another. Um, you know, they, they do say, yes, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but there is something about spending upwards of six months in you know, isolation, doing church kind of by ourselves, by solo, uh, that is probably going to have taught us some selfish patterns, some selfish tendencies that we might need to be unlearning. It might make it a bit harder for us to actually love one another well in these coming weeks. Now, it's quite possible that the opposite will be true, and that for the first few weeks back particularly, you know, there'll be such a novelty of being in the same room with other people that loving one another will uh, come easily. But I guarantee that uh, sooner rather than later, the novelty will wear off. And all of those annoying things that made it hard to love one another, those character traits, those, those little gripes, those grudges that have laid dormant for the better part of a year, they're going to bubble up to the surface again. And we're going to remember actually how inconvenient loving other people can be, how serving other people's needs actually requires quite a lot of you. And it would be a real tragedy, wouldn't it, in the coming weeks, if we found within ourselves a desire to return to doing church solo, rather than suffer the inconvenience of having to love one another. That'd be a tragedy. Uh, no, we actually, we need to get back into the rhythm of loving one another well. We need to relearn how to do that at this point in time. And, and it's quite an urgent thing. Jesus himself said in John 13, that this is how the world will know that we are his disciples, if we love one another. There's a lot at stake here whether we do this well. Now in our passage that we're looking at today in 1 John 4, uh, John tells us to love one another. And when he says that, he says in, in, in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. And in verse 21, he commands us to love brother and sister. I want to be clear, what John is particularly describing here is the love that Christians ought to have for one another. Now, of course, Christians should be those people who love everyone. We should love those who are not yet Christians as well. But particularly in this chapter, John is talking about the texture of relationships within the church, if you like. And so if you're watching this today and you are not yet a Christian, uh, then we want you to sort of feel very welcome at WBC. We hope actually that you feel more welcome and more at home at WBC than any other place in the world. But at the same time, we do hope actually that you notice that there is something different about the people who are Christians at WBC, something that you don't share with them. We hope that you notice something distinct about the love that Christians have for one another and that actually you desire to get in on that. 
Now, uh, as we look at this passage today, I just want to let you know I'm not going to be dealing uh, with verses 1 to 6, all that stuff about testing the spirits. That's kind of a separate topic for John. Uh, and you're going to look at those verses in your Bible studies this week in your home groups. So I'm going to leave them for you there. But today I'm going to deal with what I think is the most pressing issue for us as we come back together. Uh, the issue of love. Now, John says, it's very obvious, isn't it, that love is the topic of these passages. John uses the word love 27 times in those verses, from verse 7 to verse 21. Uh, it's actually, there's actually one more use of the word love, but it's hidden. There are 28 uses. Because the very first words of the verse, uh, of verse 7, dear friends, it's actually, uh, a bit more accurate translation is beloved ones. Beloved ones. What are we to do? Let us love one another. In Greek, the first two words are literally loved ones, love, beloved, love. That is what this passage is about. And so as we work through this passage, what we are going to see John telling us is, first of all, where our love comes from. And then he's going to show us two effects, two, uh, two things that our love for one another can achieve. So let's have a look, first of all, in verse 7, where John tells us that loving each other starts with God's love for us. Read of verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been trying to fix some tech issues in the church, particularly some sound issues, so that we can get the video from the auditorium broadcast into the overflow rooms uh, without any uh, complications. And it's been a bit of a tricky thing to try and diagnose. I'm not really much of a tech head myself, it doesn't come easily to me. And so as I approached this, uh, this problem, my tendency was, well, find the thing that's broken, rip it out and put a brand new one in there and fix it and that'll solve the problem. Uh, but thankfully, I'm not in charge of uh, doing that kind of thing at our church because the church would fall apart. But uh, we have some very wise, uh, gifted tech people who helpfully reminded me uh, that actually what we need to do is we need to take a step back. We need to consider the whole, the whole technology system to figure out where the problem is coming from. Replacing just this one bit is actually not the place to start. We need to understand the whole system to, to try and figure out where this problem is coming from. Now, in a kind of parallel way, John knows that if, if we are going to start loving one another well, the problem, uh, it, we don't just jump right into that problem and try, and try and pay attention to it. No, actually, we need to step back and see the broader picture. We actually need to see the bigger picture of God's love for us first before we consider our love for one another. Now, you see, one of the things that John is dealing with as he writes this letter is that there are lots of people who are confused about what it means to be a Christian, as we've seen over the past uh, several weeks. Uh, the issue for some people, it seems to be, that they were saying that, well, Christianity is this kind of, it's this great set of spiritual ideas, but actually it doesn't really matter how I live my life, you know, who I have sex with, the words that I say, how I treat you uh, if I see you in the street. You know, as long as on a spiritual plane, I'm okay. That was the mentality. And, and what John is doing all throughout this letter is he's trying to break down that divide. Uh, the idea that you can have a spiritual life that is separate from your physical life. He's trying to actually secure the connection between those two things between our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. And so look again at what he says, verse 7. Let us love one another horizontally, if you like, because for 
Love comes from God vertically. God's love and our love are connected, says John. And because they're connected, John can say there at the end of verse 7 that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So you see, if I, if I act in a way that is hateful or hurtful uh, towards someone else in God's family, you know, which can happen from time to time, in a church community, if there's a, if there's a moment where my relationship with you is given over to, to distrust or to jealousy or to anger or something, then in that moment, effectively, God's love means nothing to me. That's the implication here. And, and if that's an ongoing way of life for me, then you would be right to conclude that the life that I am in is actually not a Christian life. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. But you see, by contrast, wherever love is found within the church, it's actually proof that such people have been born of God and that they know God, the God who is love. So how did this God show his love to us? Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. God has showed us his love in a very special way, which is the highest possible standard of love in the universe. Uh, I came across some, some research this week uh, where a bunch of researchers got a, a group of four to eight year olds and asked them the question, what does love mean? And I want to share with you some of their answers because I think they're quite beautiful. Uh, Chrissy, age six, said, love is when you go to out to eat and give someone most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Uh, Danny, age seven, says, love is when my mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that the taste is okay. That's an act of love, isn't it? Uh, Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Maybe that's love. Bobby, age five, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. It's quite a poetic, kind of beautiful definition of love, isn't it? Uh, but let's be honest, none of those examples are really kind of big enough to define love. If we're asking what love is, well then God is really the only one who can define love for us because God is the one who gives us the example of love par excellence. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, that is God's supreme example of love. Now, why is it so supreme? What is so excellent about God's love here? Well, notice three things. First of all, notice that God loved us before we loved him. In fact, he loved us when we'd spurned him, when our hearts had turned away from him and we'd become his enemies. It was at that point that he loved us, when we were unworthy of it. Second, notice that God loves us by giving us his most precious gift, his only beloved son, Jesus. And then thirdly, notice that God sends Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, you see, God is a holy God. God hates sin, and he cannot let wrongdoing go unpunished. 
But you see, only a suitable sacrifice can appease God and exhaust God's just anger. And so what God does, rather than punishing us as we deserve to be punished, God steps forward himself in the person of his son, Jesus, and he suffers in our place. Uh, the theologian John Stott, he summarized what John means here really well when he said that God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it on his own self in his own son when he took our place and died for us. Friends, that is supreme love. That is the love that's at the center of the universe. And John wants to take us there to God's love for us before he then helps us to think about our love for one another. And so that when he does help us to think about our love for one another, it has the force that it needs to have. So verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, since God loved us in this kind of unprompted, undeserved, kind of holding nothing back, paying every price kind of a way, sparing no expense, well, so we ought to love one another in that same kind of way. So can you see that if, if we are going to do that, if we are going to love like God loves us, then that immediately means that there are going to be some things that are just going to have to change in the way that we relate to one another. There are going to be some patterns of behavior that are going to be off limits in the way that we relate to one another as a church. For instance, uh, we might be the sort of people who, when we you know, show up to church on a Sunday, uh, you know, we have our love on hold. You know, we just, we'll, we'll, we'll hang back. We will wait until we are loved first, until someone shows the initiative to us. Someone notices that we've walked in and comes over to us and smiles at us. Well, we can't do that anymore, can we? Because love, God's love, takes the initiative to reach out. God's love isn't means-tested. It isn't withheld until somebody is worthy to receive it. And we also, we can't be the kind of people who only show kindness to people who are like us anymore. Because no, God's love was showed to people who are completely unlike him. People who are unholy and undeserving of his love. God's love teaches us that we can't hold grudges in church anymore. We can't withhold forgiveness in the church family. No, if we are going to love like God loves, then it means we're going to have to be people who pay the price to forgive and to reconcile with people who've hurt us. Uh, we're not going to be people who draw attention to other people's wrongdoings and failings. No, instead, we're going to be the kind of people in love who try and cover over their wrongdoings, cover over their shame, because that's what God's love did for us, covered over our sins. A, a church that loves like God loves will be full of people making costly, sacrificial decisions to, to seek the good of other people in all sorts of ways, big and small. If we're going to love each other well, then we need to start with God's love for us. That sets the pattern. That sets the agenda. Because if we, if we know God, if we've been born of God, then we will want to love just like he has loved us. That's where our love comes from. The next thing that John goes on to show us is actually what loving one another can achieve. And he says in verses 12 to 16 that loving each other perfects God's love in us. Loving each other 
perfects God's love in us. Have a look at verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, that's a bit of a funny thing to say, isn't it? It almost makes us a little bit uncomfortable to suggest that God's love is incomplete somehow. Is it lacking in some ways? Is there something wrong with God's love? Well, I think the point that John is making is that essentially it's that God is invisible. God is unseeable and so is his love. His love is invisible. The things that God gives to us, the good gifts that he gives to us in life, we don't see him giving them to us, do we? Uh, we take them, we receive them, but we don't actually see him, the God, the God who gives them to us. But John is actually saying that there is a place where you can see the love of God, where God's love is, is kind of made visible, a place where it becomes a reality that you can see and hear and touch. And it's in the church as we love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and we are visible and his love is made complete in us, he says. And that is, God's love has, as we love one another, God's love kind of reaches its goal. It reaches its end point when we love one another. Because as God lives in us by his spirit and he fills us with his love, that love overflows towards other people. That's the goal. That is perfected love reaching its destination. And you notice what he says there in verse 12. This is so interesting. He says that when we love one another, in verse 12, that it's actually, it is still God's love. When, when we love one another, it is still divine love. You see, brotherly love, sisterly love in the church, it's not like a poor substitute for God's love. No, it is divine love. God is loving us through one another. That's John's point. And I think that's an incredible realization to come to, isn't it? That God is mediating his love to us through other people, through the people that we sit ne next to in church week by week. Now, God does love us in lots of other ways too, not through other people. Supremely, he loves us in sending his son for us. But part of the way actually that we experience the love of God day by day and week by week is when other Christians love us. That is our experience of God's love. It's a bit like you hear these stories from time to time of uh, organ donors uh, who die in a car crash and their heart gets donated. And then the parents of that organ donor can go and, and put their ear up to the chest of the person who their child's heart is beating inside. And so sort of vicariously, those parents are able to hear the heart of their child through this other person. Well, kind of in a similar way, we get to experience, we get to hear the love of God coming from one another. And so I think that means, friends, that we ought to kind of start recognizing that the, the acts of love and kindness that other Christians show to us are actually far more significant than we might first think. That when a Christian comes along and does something loving towards us, that what is actually happening there is that God is doing something loving towards us. See, when a, when a brother speaks a word of comfort to you, or a sister bakes a cake for you, or a family welcomes you into their home, those people are being, in one sense, the hands and feet of God. I think, in one sense, it would be right to kind of imagine that when a brother hugs you, that Christ is hugging you. That when a sister sits by your hospital bed, that Christ is sitting by your hospital bed. 
that when a friend weeps with you, that Christ is weeping with you. God mediates his love to us through other people. It is divine love when Christians love one another. And doesn't that change the way then that you, you see your interactions with other Christians? Doesn't it give them added significance? Doesn't it make you want to be thankful more for the, the small mercies that God shows you day by day through other people? And doesn't it make you want to be someone who shows God's love to other people in numerous ways as well? Well, as John is thinking about this and explaining this concept that we mediate God's love to other people, it seems actually that he's got one particular act of love in mind. You see, from verse 13, he reminds us that, that we are people who have the Spirit living in us and that we are the ones who testify then about Jesus to the world. We speak to others about him and we invite people to acknowledge and trust Jesus so that they too can be born of God and can be filled with God's love. And so let me say, if you're not a Christian and you've noticed that there is something actually that's different about Christians and the way that they look out for one another and the kind of things they do for one another, and if you're starting to get the sense that you are missing out on something, then please know, friend, that you are invited to come and to participate in this love. It starts with trusting Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And God will make you born again. He will fill you with his spirit and he will cause your love to overflow. That invitation is there for you. It is always there for you to come to Jesus. You do not need to miss out. Well, John's got one more final thing to tell us actually. Uh, one more thing that love achieves. And he says there in verses 17 to 18, that perfected love drives out fear. Perfected love drives out fear. Uh, from time to time, uh, when I have a meeting to go out to in the evening, I have to leave home before my kids are asleep. And from time to time, that can be quite upsetting for them. And they often ask me as I'm walking out the door to leave with them something to remember me by, which sounds a little bit morbid, but their point is simply that they're going to miss me when I'm gone. They're going to be a little bit more scared because I'm not in the room next door as they're dropping off to sleep. And what they're asking for is really just kind of any kind of trinket that I can find that belongs to me. Something that, that reminds them of me. It might be a photo frame that I could give them. It might be my watch that I'm going to leave on their pillow. It doesn't really matter, whatever it is. But as they're then lying there in their beds going to sleep, they can look over at this thing and remember their dad who loves them. Remember that I'm still... Uh, there for them in a sense. And they, they don't need to be upset or they don't need to be afraid. And, and, and according to John, the love that we have for one another as Christians, uh, that love which God has worked in us, that is like a token for us almost that helps us to remember him and to not be afraid. Uh, look again, verse 17 to 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, if you're a Christian, uh, you can have confidence on the day of judgment. Uh, we talk about this all the time, that you can be confident that you stand before God and you will be accepted by him on the basis of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Uh, that's the normal way ex we explain it. That's how the Bible often explains it. 
that God must punish sin and that we would stand condemned under God's judgment were it not for Jesus dying in our place. And when we face God, we can have confidence that he will accept us as his beloved son because Jesus took our condemnation and gave us his righteousness instead. And on that basis, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. But John actually puts a different spin on it here. John says that there's an extra reason that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. And the reason is because of the loving relationships that we have with one another. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, essentially, John is saying that because we can see the fruit of God's love in our lives, because of that kind of Christ-like love which we get to participate in in the church, because of you know that experience of giving and receiving love that can only come by God's Spirit, we can be convinced on that basis that God is real, that He's really at work in us, and that He really loves us. You see, I think if you ask John on what basis he was confident about facing God on Judgment Day, John would say, well, I'm, I'm not afraid to face God because I know Jesus died for me and because I know that Jesus loves me. I've experienced that through the love of other Christians. And if I know that he loves me, well, then I'm not afraid to face him. That's his point, I think. So can you see, if that's true, friends, the incredible effect that your love could have on other people, uh, the way that you love your brothers and sisters in church could be the thing that convinces them about God's love for them and that enables them to go through life living fear-free, uh, fear living confident, knowing that they are accepted by God and they have nothing to fear on Judgment Day. Uh, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to be a church full of people who share that confidence, who have no doubt whatsoever that God really does love them so that they can live their lives free of fear. Perfect love or perfected love drives out fear, you see. And so what is John's conclusion at the end of this matter? Well, it's the same thing that he started with. Beloved love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love brother or sister. Friends, if we're going to get back into the habit of loving one another well as we meet together from this point forward, then the place for us to start is by remembering and by focusing on God's incredible love for us, the love that is at the center of the universe. We love because he first loved us. And as we are kind of drinking deeply from the wells of God's love, we will grow in our love for others, learning to lay down our lives for one another and giving to one another the gift of reassurance, confident. We know that God loves us because we can see it through one another. Beloved, love. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. Please would you help us as we come back together to be so filled with the glorious realities of your love that we overflow in love towards each other. 
We ask uh, that you would please enable us to be creative in the ways that we look out for each other, that we show care and concern and put one another's needs before our own. Please teach us to humble ourselves and lay down our lives for one another, just as our Lord Jesus did for us. I thank you that as we see that happening around us and to us, that we get to experience something of your love for us day by day. Please give us the confidence to remember that you really are for us in Jesus, that you really do love us and that we have nothing to be afraid of. We ask for your blessing in this way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're actually going to listen to a song now that's been written by some of our church members. It's a song which reflects on the glorious love of God, particularly in the words of 1 John chapter 3. And so as you listen to this song, you might like to flick back to 1 John 3 and have a read and have a pray, thanking God for his glorious love for us in Christ. Let's listen now. <laughs> 